you started sharing your dreams. And I was like, oh my gosh. Maybe I'm not ready. I just think I'm ready, but I'm not ready. I'm not teachable. (laughs) Don't tell people everything you know. Don't be so generous. You know, hold things back. Stop being stingy. Be generous. I can either squelch her or I could realize that she's actually better than me. Have you ever mentored somebody for a little while and then realized, ugh, I can't mentor. This person is just not teachable. Sure. Usually find that out pretty quick. Welcome to the Light Movement Podcast, and today we are talking about mentoring. I think this is going to be a very interesting topic to talk about because artists, I think, really need mentors. I think everybody needs a mentor. I have with me today my mentor, uh, Beverly McIntyre. She started mentoring me, how long ago was it? It was a long time ago. I mean, I was quite young. I think I was five. (laughs) You might have been four. (laughs) Uh, I think think it was... Was it like 15 years ago? No, it was longer than that. It's been about 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay, so about 20 years ago. Okay, so before we get into how Beverly and I met and what our our relationship was like, Beverly, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Like, who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? Stuff like that. Well, actually, I'm not an artist. I'm a pastor. I have been in the ministry for probably almost 50 years I'm not quite that old, but, you know, I've been in the ministry that long. I've worked at several churches, but, you know, during the Bosnian War, I went five times to work with the Bosnian people. So I really do a lot of missions. And I went there to work with the women that had been in the rape camps and had lost loved ones. And, And it really changed my heart. And so since then, I like to go where there's just things happening to people, the crisis. I just got back last week from Ukraine, and the war is still going. And, you know, we don't hear about it on the news very much anymore, but people are devastated. Whole cities are devastated. Whole generation of men have been killed. And um, so I just do a lot of things like that. And then I met you. And you're an artist, and I'm not an artist. (laughs) Well, you always say you're not an artist, and I made Beverly go to a few art classes, and that was... That was funny. She kept trying to get Demetra. Well, Demetra did help me a lot. Yeah. I would wait till Demetra was right next to me, and I'd say, Demetra, could you could you just do this for me? And then she would just keep going, and I would just be blessing her. <laughs> so I had some good paintings from Demetra. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that was when she was little. But you are definitely creative. I do a lot of decorating. I'm, I used to have a decorating business. And you like to talk about decoupage. I love decoupage. <laughs> So, um, you know, but you taught me not to say decoupage. Yeah. Well, uh, there's decoupage and there's decoupage. So. Right. Okay, so just a little background about me and my mentoring uh, journey is I had wanted, uh, since I started, because I read these success books that told me that if you want to be successful in something, you need to find somebody who is doing what you're doing and is where you want to be and follow in their footsteps and get them to mentor you. So I wanted an artist mentor 
my my whole career. I would contact artists and I would, you know, that were further along in their career than me. And I would ask them, you know, would they mentor me? And some were honest and they, they said things like, well, why would I want to create competition for myself? <laughs> And, um, and some would just, you know, never acknowledge me. They wouldn't email me back or they wouldn't, you know, call me back. Um, I offered to pay, I offered. So after a while I gave up and, um, and I, I didn't understand why I was never given a mentor because I, I prayed for it. I asked for it. I, I really wanted it. I was definitely ready. And I would sit there and think, maybe I'm not ready. I just think I'm ready, but I'm not ready. I'm not teachable. And because I never could find a mentor. And then you came because I wasn't really looking for a spiritual mentor necessarily. Um, I was, I was thinking art mentor for my sure. business, you know, God had other plans. So, uh, what was happening is I was having all these crazy dreams. I know, you know, this story, but just for the listeners, I was having all these crazy dreams and really weird dreams, you know, like, um, I, I would be walking in a house and there was like dog poop all over the carpet. Yeah, and that's not a good dream. It's not a good dream. And, and my brother picked up the poop and smeared it on my face. And, and I was like, I never had dreams like this or little babies were being shoved in, uh, mayonnaise jars and not having air to breathe. It's Any- freaky. Totally freaky. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do about these dreams. A mutual friend of ours, I didn't know Beverly yet, um, said, oh, I know the perfect person who could interpret these dreams for you and and tell you what they mean. And it hadn't never even occurred to me that dreams meant something uh-huh. or that God spoke through dreams or, or there was messages in dreams. Mm-hmm. So Shannon connected us. And then I went to, I went to one of your dream interpretation. Um, and so then what, what is your side of this story? Well, actually I had seen you, you came, I think a couple of times to a meeting that I was having with Shannon, I would be speaking or teaching and I would look at your face and I would think, this lady hates me. She'll never be back. But I didn't realize you're Greek and you just have that Greek look and you're thinking and you're deep in thought. Some people call it RBF. Oh, okay. RBF. I don't know what that is because you know, I'm from Coolidge. Anyways, um, I you came to the dream interpretation class and you started sharing your dreams and I was like, oh my gosh. This poor woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't want to interpret your dreams because I, I felt like they were about your church and about the people that you were under at that time in ministry. And I was very hesitant. And I think you could tell that I was hesitant about the interpretation of your dream. And so I would try to, you know, uh, just say a little bit and and escape that and go to the next person because I thought, I don't want to say anything against someone's, you know, where someone worships or what they're doing. And Right. So then I started to think there's something really wrong with me because I have dreams so freaky and scary and weird that— this, well, you were in a real freaky, scary place, honestly. Yeah, that this, this, um, <laughs> this lady who is, you know, so well-known for dream interpretation doesn't want to touch my dreams with a 10-foot pole. So I forget how I got a hold of you, but I called you, and I was like, can we meet for lunch? And then you said, I'm bringing my friend Helen. And I was like, oh, man, she needs a backup. <laughs> so um, so then, yeah, we met for lunch. And then you and then you, you leveled with me. And basically what was going on is um, I was in a very, like, uh, controlling religious environment that um, was, was ultimately holding me back in my destiny and keeping me um, – 
squelched and and squished down both spiritually and and in in how I function. And Beverly set me free and got into all kinds of trouble for that. Yeah, I got in trouble. <laughs> you got in trouble. But we made it through. Yeah. But you know what? Talking about your dreams and talking about mentoring, if you look at that a different way, that's the way most people mentor. Most people mentor people to keep them under them. And I've seen that so much in my life because, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for so many years and I see people mentoring people, but the people that they're mentoring never, they never grow. And I think you're not, your job for mentoring isn't finished until a person is actually either on your same level or above you. And just recently I mentored I had a lady that worked for me. She was my assistant. I had to go on a, I had two mission trips back to back. So I was gone for a whole month. I came back. And while I, when I came back, you know, she, I was, I was the pastor of women at my church and she had done all these things that were actually better than I could do. And all these ideas that were actually better ideas than I had. And I thought to myself, I can either squelch her and tell her, you know, she's out of line. She didn't ask my permission. Or I could realize that she's actually better than me and promote her. And so I went into my to the senior pastor and I said, she should be over women's ministry. This is her job. And at first he was a little taken aback. But you know, it was the same with you. I'm I could I could look at you and say, I gotta keep you down. Or I could say, you know what, you've outgrown me. And you did, you outgrew me. And so we were together 10 years and working together and and, and, and lots of things transpired. And, and really, a mentoring is, is a friendship. And people want to be mentored, but what lots of times what they really want is an appointment. And mm-hmm. appointments are not mentoring. They, they want a silver bullet, some yeah. sort of quick fix. Like you said, suck you dry, get everything out of yeah. you, and, and move on, rather than that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things I've learned most from you, is that it was just a whole different mentality when it comes to teaching and mentoring, is, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of taught at some point in your life, like, don't don't tell people everything you know. Don't be so generous. You know, hold things back because you know there's value to it, and they need to pay for it. Or um, you know, uh, you have to, you have to you know systematically kind of find a way to monetize mm-hmm. all your knowledge, uh, package it, mm-hmm. uh, put it in a framework, and basically it the it the world like that teaches you to be very stingy mm-hmm. and and hold back. And, and dole out what you know in a very controlled way to keep the people controlled only so far yeah. so that they can't grow. And um, the thing that shocked me so much when, when we, you know, began our relationship is how generous you were. And you would just, you were freely telling me anything and you were vulnerable and you were open about your own life and you, you generously gave anything and everything you ever had and never counted the cost or thought about, you know, how could, how could this benefit you in any way? So I know when I began teaching and I began uh, working with artists, I modeled that sort of even subconsciously because that's how I was taught by you. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they say about our content that, that it's very generous and we give so much valuable information uh, for free. And I think it's that, and you, I remember in meetings you would say um, when somebody was kind of holding back and hedging and being careful and not, you would say, stop being stingy, be generous. And <laughs> 
So I picked that up. And also what you just said about, you know, really truly desiring in your heart for the people that you mentor to surpass you. Yeah. If your ego is attached to your work, Mm -hmm. that's hard. Yeah. And none of us are going to live forever. Yeah. You know, and so what we give is our legacy. You know, it's going to be our legacy. It's going to be what lasts forever. You know, I mean, um, when I got the magazine that you'd written, that you'd written an article and you'd written about me, I, I, I said to my friends that I showed it to, I said, look, this is my eulogy. (laughs) (laughs) This is what you can read at my celebration of life because people don't want to give. And that was the thing that taught me. I always told my children, everybody teaches you something. Some people teach you what not to do, and some people teach you what to do. But everywhere you are, they're teaching you something. I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect. But if we see the imperfections, actually, we can learn from those. If if all of us agree that, oh, yeah, this is an imperfection in my life, I can learn. If I see it in you, oh, yeah, that's an imperfection in your life, I can learn from that. And I think that most people... They don't want anybody to ever know any imperfections. I was listening to somebody on a podcast this morning, and he was talking about a, a big general of the faith, you know. And I thought, we say, thing, we say things like that so flippant, but it's like we're supposed to be a community. And in a community, we share, we share what we have, and we share everything we have. And I didn't have any art to share with you, but... I I had how, you know, one of the things that I know is how to hear from God. And I remember the first mission trip that you went with me, you know, it was to Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a pastor's conference. That was rough. <laughs> and you had said to, to my friend Helen, or our friend Helen, you said, because this is my first trip, she's not going to let me uh, prophesy, is she? And Helen said, well, maybe you should get three people in your back pocket, and then when you get up. Okay, I want to tell that story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, what happened is I signed up for this trip thinking I was going to carry your suitcases uh-huh. and fan you when you're hot. You know? And that's what most people would do. That's what I thought. Yeah. You know? That's why I, I signed up. I mean, not most people I take, but most people that go. <laughs> yeah. And so that that's what I was expecting. And the, our our very first— and I dealt with, um, I've talked about this in other podcasts. I was, I was extremely shy and extremely um, self-focused and uh, really, you know, bottled up in a lot of false humility mm-hmm. where I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't be, um, I couldn't step into greatness because I, I felt ashamed that everybody would be like, Oh, look at her. She's so arrogant. And I heard this voice in my head. Who do you think you are? Who do you think mm-hmm. you are that you think you can be a we somebody? We all have those voices. Yeah. You know? And on that trip, I really, really struggled with that. And maybe this is something you don't know, but before that trip, I could not wear a pearl necklace. I could not wear a blazer. I could not wear high heels or carry a purse. <laughs> what? You never told me that. Yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> It was too flashy. It was too grown up. I was saying I was a big somebody. Yeah, isn't that bizarre? Yeah, and and I would I would get ready to go somewhere, and I would I would put on like a blazer, and I would be like, no, who do I think I am? <laughs> Some sort of businesswoman, and I would take it off. Uh huh. And and or I would wear a pearl necklace. I was like, who do I think I am? Some grown up, and I would take it off. And I, I couldn't I couldn't wear. I remember I had this poncho, a poncho I couldn't wear either. 
Uh, <laughs> so I bought this poncho from Nordstrom's and mm-hmm. I was really proud of it. And it was, it was expensive and it was like my treasured thing. And I tried to wear that so many times out and I could not do it. I could uh-huh. not get out the door. So here I am in Mexico and we're, we're in that, in that meeting. And we know none of that. I mean, yeah, all you don't of us know any with that. you. Yeah, we I, we actually didn't know each other very well at this <laughs> no. point. I think you you had been mentoring me maybe like not very a long. month, if yeah. that. So we're sitting in this meeting, and I'm feeling pretty comfortable because I'm just here to observe. And her her friend Helen, your friend Helen, was sitting there, and I yeah, I said Helen, she's not going to make me because she announced from uh, the stage that she's going to have her ladies come up and prophesy to everyone. And, and these were all pastors. Yeah. And they were all leaders. They weren't. And I'm thinking, I don't, what is, prophesy was that? I don't know what she, <laughs> I'm not going to get up and do that. Like that, I don't know how to do that. I don't do that. I don't, I'm, I'm barely. I don't wear a blazer. I'm barely <laughs> figuring out how to, you know, hear from God here. So I said to Helen, well, that's for everybody else, right? But not me. Um, she's not going to have me do that. Also, before this time, I could not get up in front of people and speak. Uh-huh. I couldn't speak to more than five people at one time. I just fell apart and I w- involuntary things would happen. Like I crumbled. I literally could not do it. And that was the first thing we did on that trip, do a pastor's conference. I know. <laughs> I know. So Helen said, well, no, she's going to make you go up there. And I absolutely panicked. And so she said, pick out three people that stand out to you and and just you know, just ask God, what do you, what do you have to say about these people? And just memorize it and put it in your pocket. That's what Helen told me to do. (laughs) And I was like, if I had my passport with me and it wasn't at the hotel, I would leave right now. (laughs) And I wanted to leave. I wanted to go, uh, you know, back to, you know, America, the United States. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I, I thought, okay, I, I can't do that. I don't even know where a hotel is. It's Mexico city. I can't even remember the name of it. I looked at this one girl and right away I heard in my heart, I just heard, um, you know, I, I noticed her boots and, um, and I just felt like she, she had this warrior, you know, um, vibe about her. And so I, I had that and I was like, okay, that's boots. And uh-huh. then there was this other girl that, that, I just saw a field of wildflowers and, and, and then like a wildfire that was coming over the wildflowers. And so, so I got that. And then there was a guy with a plaid shirt and I heard, um, this guy's name is Peter and, you know, and he's a rock and, and I got that. So I was like, okay, got them. And here comes (laughs) Beverly and she goes up to the lady with the boots and she's like, well, no, you're I a warrior. You guys up there. Yeah. I called you yeah. guys up there. And while you were walking up there, I decided to prophesy over some people. Yeah. Yeah. And you literally <laughs> stole all three people, all three of them, every single one, and gave the exact same thing that, that I had in my pocket, one after the other. And as soon as she was done with Peter, she turned to me, hands me the microphone and said, now Ellie's going to prophesy to you. And I have this microphone in my hand and it was this do or die moment. And I had absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. nothing at all. And I didn't know what to do. So I just went back to, okay, I got to, I got to find, you know, somebody that stands out. And this woman in a, in a powder puff blue, um, outfit mm-hmm. stood out to me and I, and, uh, and Beverly teaches, you know, not to, to give negative words. Right. And I, I, I tell this lady, it just came, came out of my mouth. I tell this lady, she's been overlooked. She's been thrown aside and rejected. <laughs> she's felt like horribly unloved. 
it's just been awful for her. And she's bawling and crying. And, mm-hmm. and, and I said, you know, but God loves you and he's with you and he's never going to leave you. And afterwards she came up to me and she told me that just that day she, or the day before she found out that her, her husband who was a pastor had been cheating on her and, and was leaving her. Yeah. And I just, that trip, I was like, oh my gosh, God is real yeah, and yes. he does speak. Yeah. And you know, we, in, in the, in the Christian community, we so often don't understand that we have a living God and he's moment by moment wanting to have relationship with us. And so we, we get into this religious mindset that says, I have to plan everything, or I have to have everything just right, or I have to be perfect, or he's going to be mad, or he's sitting up there getting ready to strike me. And the beauty of just that very incident, that very action that you took for the very first time said that he is a living God and that we we don't have to follow a religious outline because you got those three people and you know, that's great. But when they were gone, you still could hear his voice. And that's what I love most about, yeah. about, about ministry, about walking with a living God instead of just being a Christian, sitting in church, being a layman, just watching somebody do their thing. Yeah. And, um, I, I really believe that, you know, artists is, it's a very spiritual thing. Creating is extremely spiritual. And artists have, because of that creativity mm-hmm. and because of that, like, right brain, their right brain is t- turned on, their intuition is turned on, their their spirit is open. Um, they, as they create, are really encountering God in a, in a lot of ways. And God's using them right. to... to um, to add messages or, or, um, you know, revelation in their, mm-hmm. in their paintings. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes artwork so powerful. It's not us that makes the artwork so powerful. It's our willingness to, to be a conduit right. that makes the artwork so powerful. And I think that's why you, I, you ended up being my mentor to grow so I could grow spiritually mm-hmm. to be the best artist and, and also know how to tap into that or to coach other artists in that, um, versus, uh, learning from another artist. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, anyway, the moral of the story is after that trip, everything that so much of my self-consciousness and, um, you know, that false humility, that like inability to even mm-hmm. public speak or, or wear, wear a poncho in public, yeah. uh, was shattered. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went, I went out to a store and I, and I had the poncho on mm-hmm. and I was like, and it was just a few days after I got back and I thought, what in the world has happened to me? I put this on and I walked out the door and I'm sitting here in a store in public and, and I'm actually wearing it. Yeah. And I'm not thinking, wow, I'm too much. Mm-hmm. And so a lot, a lot changed on that trip yeah. for me. It was like, it was, it was, you know, the beginning of it. Well, the reason you could wear the poncho is because your subconscious had been changed because you, you, you crossed, you crossed over something you'd never crossed before. You, you went, you had a boundary on your life. And, you know, we have boundaries on our lives because of trauma because of all lots of things that have happened in our life. I had a really hard childhood. 
my dad was an alcoholic. My mother wasn't much better. And um, so, you know, my childhood was traumatic. And so for me, in, I, I could change my conscious mind, but I would, I would feel, I would, I would always realize that there would be a boundary. And I couldn't cross over that boundary. And I wouldn't know why I couldn't cross over that boundary. So I would be fearful about things that there, there really was no fear about. And it was when I realized that it's my subconscious mind that really has to be renewed. And you talked about the left brain and how we so often see things through that left brain. And that left brain is logical, it's analytical, but our right brain says, wow, I can do most anything, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, we are created with an imagination. Sometimes people think imagination is a, is a wrong thing. We'll say to our children, oh, that was just your imagination. When you say to a child, that was just your imagination, what you're really saying is that's not a good thing. Your right. imagination is not a good thing. Right. But in, in art, you have to see things somewhere to be able to, to imagine that on a, on a canvas. You have to, you have to go over a boundary of a, that analytical, of that logical to be able to see that there's something that's more. And I think it's the same in, in it, it will, it really is a spiritual thing. You know, it's a spiritual thing. And, and we, we're created that way. We try to take how we're created. And so often we, we try to, Void it. We try to not be that. We try to make it not so. And there's a lot of things that, that even right now destroying our imagination, but we're created with it. So stay tuned for later in this episode, Beverly and I are going to talk about the three attributes you should look for in choosing a mentor. And we're also going to talk about the three attributes you should have as a mentee so that you can make the most out of this mentor-mentee relationship. You know, I imagine you've had um, a lot of people ask you to mentor you. Mm, yeah. I mean, for you to mentor them on a daily basis. And I know in my in Arizona and in my parts, I mean, you were you were very you are very you know famous and well known. Or sometimes I'm infamous. Infamous as well, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and when I would hear your stories of infamy. Uh, I would go, I got to meet this woman. I've got to meet this woman. I already love her. Um, <laughs> when people ask you if you will mentor them, what are you looking for in somebody that you'll mentor? What makes you decide yes and what makes you decide no? When somebody just calls me or they text me or write me and say, will you mentor me? I tell them I don't mentor people. I feel like they're looking for something that they haven't paid any price for. And, you know, we ha everything costs us something. So when somebody walks with me for a while, when they walk with me or when, when they, they seek out answers to questions that they've never, you know, they've never had the answers and, and we've walked together, then I see a person that's really hungry, that really wants something because I don't have time to have appointments with people. You know, I have a lot, I have lots of appointments right now when I'm work, when I'm at work, my schedule is clear into January just to meet with people. But an appointment doesn't denote that you're hungry and that you really want to be in the ministry or you want to be, you want to be in, um, you know, walk in life with somebody. 
Mm-hmm. And so I look for somebody that's already w- going to walk with me. And really, you you called me a lot. You asked me a lot of questions. I could feel the hunger in you. I could feel the the desire to be better. And 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 I of course I'm not an artist. And you and I didn't really talk about art. And I really, when I first met you, I didn't know you were an artist. You know, I remember one time, uh, right, right after I met you, you told me, because we were going to do a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And you said, come to my house and I have some prints if you want to try, if you want to use those in your fundraiser. And I thought, prints, I don't, I don't, you know, and I went over and I was, and I was surprised because all that I knew about you is that you asked me questions of things that I, that I knew about. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that many people, what they want is an appointment they want you to give them something and then they're, they're good. And sometimes I work with people like if there's a lady that, that came to me very broken and, and, uh, it was like when you looked at her, you didn't, you didn't think she could ever go anywhere, be anything. And this is just recent in my life. And, and so she came and she came and she came. And as she came, I saw the growth. I saw her growing. I saw her having different thoughts and, and, and walking in a different way. And so I just took her to the Ukraine with me. And she's, she's doing, I mean, she's like another person, but, but she never said, will you mentor me? She just kept coming. Mm-hmm. And that's, I look for somebody that is that hungry. Mm-hmm. And I have some people that demand that I, that I mentor them because they're, they've got to have somebody. And when they demand something, I'm like, oh, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, have you ever mentored somebody for a little while and then realized after some time, like, oh, I can't mentor, the, this person is just not teachable or I can't mentor them or? Sure. And you, you usually find that out pretty quick mm-hmm. if they're teachable or not. Because the first time you have to correct them. And you know, correction is good. Yeah. We look at it as bad, but correction is good. Right. If we don't make mistakes, we're not human. And I, I rejoice when somebody makes a mistake. Mistakes don't bother me. Yeah. You know, I, because I think when we make a mistake and we, we learn from that mistake, we grow. Mm-hmm. But when we make a mistake and we have to be right, then that's not somebody that I want to, I want to be with. I make tons of mistakes mm-hmm. and I do things that are, that are bad or wrong, but I'm willing to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. When I was a young woman, I used to desire, <laughs> I wanted to be mentored so much. And I would go to women that were older that, that did what I want to do. And they wouldn't give me the time of day. Yeah. What, um, from my memory, your first uh, mentor was uh, Sister Susie Stokes or Sister Stokes. Sister Ag- Stokes. Agnes Stokes. Agnes, Agnes Stokes. Stokes. Yeah. And she was a mean old lady. Yeah. <laughs> she was like 82 and she had come home from the mission field to retire and felt like she was supposed to go to Arizona and plant this Native American church. And I'm convinced, you know, that that she came there just for me because... I learned so much under her. I learned a lot of stuff not to do. And I learned, I learned a lot of stuff to do. And one of the things that she would do to me was always put me on the spot. You know, mm, I yeah, would, you like to do that. Yeah. And I like to do that <laughs> because I found out that when I was put on the spot, I stayed prepared mm. instead of just preparing for something. Well, you know, it's interesting that you said that because what I was thinking about is um, I was trying to think when in the beginning of this mentor relationship, 
did I want to maybe get out of it and not not want to go through with it or you know where where was I first challenged and I remember uh we it's it's that whole putting on the spot and I can't remember if this is before or after Mexico but I remember at one point I was in I was in some meeting and um and it, everybody was like singing and dancing and I being my shy self and self-conscious, I just, I just sat there and I wasn't, I wasn't dancing and or singing. You weren't rejoicing. I was above all of it. Uh-uh. And, um, and to me that would, that was at that time. I mean, now I think back to like, gosh, how arrogant and, and prideful and, you know, self, yeah. self-conscious. But at the time I just thought I, w- I was way too cool for school and there was no way I was going to sing or dance in front of other people, uh-huh. especially because the whole crowd was doing it. And, and I think a lot of artists struggle with this. It, it was that conformity that, that hit my pride yeah. and my pride wall. It was like, I'm not going to conform. I'm not going to do it just because all of, all of the people who love Beverly are doing it. <laughs> and so- you came really close to me and you pointed your finger at me and you said, you get up right now and you dance. And oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> and I was like, it was that moment where if I didn't, I was like, I'll probably, she probably won't want to mentor me. <laughs> and so I kind of have to. And, and I was really mad about it and really like upset, you know, that I was like, forced to do this. Uh-huh. But once I got up and I, and I started dancing and of course I felt super awkward, super self-conscious. I thought, um, I, I realized it's all me. It's all my world and my pride and this, this, you know, sort of dark side of me that really needed to break and break down and being able to actually break through that in that one moment and, and literally be able to dance in front mm-hmm. of other people, uh, felt freeing. Yeah. And, um, and so the irony of all of this is, is when I, um, used to teach the mastery program in person and people were having a block because what blocks artists, um, from losing control and being willing to take some risks and make a bad painting or basically, you know, that overcome that, that point of pride, Mm -hmm. uh, is what's blocking them is pride. And the fastest way to get into your, your left brain is full of pride. Your right brain is free. It's like a child and it has no pride. Yeah. And so in order to really be able to paint and paint well, you have to be in your right brain. Mm -hmm. And so when I see students and sometimes it's almost like a virus, it'll start with one person who's really struggling and it begins to spread. And then you have a corner of the room that's like consumed with like self-doubt and like control and they don't want to, and they're like really struggling and then it keeps spreading. Uh And so when I would see that happen, I would, I would make, I would turn on the music really loud and I would make everybody dance. Yeah, And um, because it was so transformative for me, um, and, and fighting through that and you putting me on the spot and people will feel put on the spot. And I know they're angry. I know they're upset with me because I'm, I'm sort of publicly making them do something they don't want to do, but it's the fastest way to kill pride. It is the fastest way. And if, if it's still there after dancing, um, I make them shout (laughs) and you, you would make people shout too. So like if you make people shout Mm -hmm. and, and, and just yell out things, Mm -hmm. um, whatever it is, it, it breaks pride and, yeah. and it's, it's the weirdest thing, but it, it totally, it totally works. And so we even say in the mastery program, um, that if, if you're at home and you're ever really struggling, it's a great tip and you, you just can't, 
get into the flow of painting, put on some music and dance. And even if you're alone, it's slightly humiliating to do that. Yeah. If you're in your left brain. Yeah, exactly. So. Because you, you feel like, why am I doing this? Am I a fake? What am I doing? You know, I don't paint, but I decorate. And a lot of times people will say to me, does this look good? And it looks good, but they didn't go far enough. Mm. And they don't go far enough because in their left brain, they're trying to, they're, they're trying to Play analyze and make everything in order. And, and I'll say, just keep going. If you don't like it, keep going. Don't stop. Just keep moving forward and add more things or move things around or, or do something that you've never done before. And it's the same, it's really the same concept, mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of people, I go into their homes and they have one thing and it looks nice, but man, what if they put, what if they put four more and now there's five things, you know, and I say, make every, do it with an odd number. Pe odd numbers scare people, you know? And so I'm, I make people, I tell people you have to have three or you have to have seven you have to have five. You can't have two, and yeah. you can't have four. It's the same because with then it's it's there's your right your left brain showing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, out of uh, you know we've we've done a lot of crazy stuff together. We've traveled. We had a lot of fun. A lot of fun, and we've laughed a lot. Oh, yeah. even to the point yeah. where I, I peed my pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, now. Out of all the crazy stuff we've done, we've traveled to lots of different countries. Um, what is a memory or what is a story or something that, that really stands out um, to you? Well, I, well, the first thing that I think about was, that we're, was when we were headed to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And you've never been to Asia. And um, we're in the plane and, and we're, we're talking about that the food really isn't very good. <laughs> And you said, well, I think I'll really like it because I like Chinese food. I'm like, mm. <laughs> and so like the second day, I remember you got up and, and you said, do we have to eat today? <laughs> because you you were, you were getting it. And, and they do have some delicious food. There's, there's great food in the Philippines, but then there's some dishes that that are scary, are a little scary for, for yeah. Americans. You know, I remember that. And, um, uh, I remember when we went over to an island in Mexico City. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And we had to go on a boat, and all the boats had flowers all over them. And that was your first trip, and your eyes were kind of big and like, where am I going? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. What do you remember? Oh, gosh. I remember so many funny things. Um, <laughs> I I remember when we were crossing the border from Slovakia into um, Ukraine. Yes. And we were in the line forever. <laughs> and we had, and remember, the, the bigger the hat, the, it meant the, the bigger the, pro, the authority. Yes. You know? And the, the, if you saw a guy, a Border Patrol guy coming at you with a big hat, you knew it was trouble. Uh -huh. And I just remember, and I think Rhonda and Pam and those guys were with us, and um, the guy opens the van door and Beverly's the first person you see in the back seat. And he says something like passwords. And Beverly goes, <laughs> and she puts her van and this is after hours and hours of Beverly inventing, um, a, a she, we, um, 
Oh yeah, we we had to have we had to have she we we never really actually got one, but we still want one. <laughs> she she decided that from from that point on that whenever she took these trips with with ladies that that everybody had to bring their own she we. So if you don't know what a she we was, um, I don't know if it was your invention or they really exist. No, uh, it, Carrie McFarland told us about it. Oh. So it's like it's a it's this funnel or this way that if you don't have a toilet you you can go to the bathroom in a bottle or something right like a man yeah like a man yeah. so but but I remember talking about that the very first time we had gone into Ukraine it was just you and I and we were leaving and we were right at the border and you said I have to use the restroom and I said please don't Ellie please don't and you said but I have to I said. I wouldn't. And you said, but I have to. And, and, and you said, will you go with me? I said, huh? And you went and you came right back and you said, I can't. And I said, okay, let's just go out in the weeds. And so we went into these tall And you held weeds. a tower. A tower. <laughs> but you learned that that's not where you want to go. No, that, that is by far to this date, the world's worst restroom I have ever seen in my life. I didn't know, I didn't know something like that could even exist. Yeah, I knew. I knew. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, but it was funny. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. In fact, every time I go across that border now, I tell people about me telling you, please don't go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, another funny story that stands out in my mind is um, uh, the gypsy lady on the Greek bus Oh, oh, yes. And another thing that was hilarious, thinking about a Greek bus, is we were on this bus one time in Greece, and um, and I wasn't really in the mix. I, was, I wasn't I was near you. I was, I was in the middle of the bus, and you were kind of towards the back of the bus. But I just saw you talking and talking and talking, and everybody's looking at you because, you know, in Greece, you're not going to be, like, loud on a bus, you know? And, and except so, I was, yeah, except you were, <laughs> and and you were talking and laughing, and people were just looking at you like, and I was watching the reactions to you talking, and you were talking to a Greek guy, and um, and anyway, but then all of a sudden you and that guy just start start laughing, and then and then the people around you started laughing, and then the people around them, and it became this like contagious thing, and all of a sudden the entire bus is in absolute hysterics. Um, that, that was really funny. I don't remember that time. You don't? No, but. What about the time in, in, uh, Budapest with the, um, with the, the napkins and you got the whole restaurant. This, this actually is my favorite Beverly story. I tell people this story all the time. So. <laughs> I remember this story. So we're in, we're, we're a bunch of ladies. We're in, we're in Budapest. And none of us are drinking alcohol. It's, it's, we're all just drinking water and we're waiting for our food and it's taking forever. And so we get kind of bored and, and there's all these, and we're being loud and there's all these Europeans around us and they're kind of- Germans. Like, Germans. Yeah. And yeah. And they're looking at us like <laughs> these loud, obnoxious Americans, yeah. you know? Who do they think they are in our restaurant making such a ruckus? And they were, you know, really looking down on us. And and I don't blame them because what right. we were doing is filming each other while we folded the napkins into bow ties and mustaches. And uh -huh. we were doing that, you know, you must pay the rent. I can't pay the rent. You must pay the rent. I can't. And we were, we were making silent movies. Yes. And recording them. And we were laughing hysterically. And everybody was like, and then... Beverly calls over 
you know, there was some music musicians there. And so she, she pays the musicians to come over and they're, and she says, can you play the chicken dance? The chicken dance yeah. song. Yeah. That, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and so he's playing it on the accordion and she got up and got all these people to dance. And she's grabbing the Germans from their seats and she's and she has an entire train. And they were very resistant. At yeah, first. we went around the whole restaurant, but they they You insisted <laughs> and they did it. And everybody in the restaurant is dancing to the chicken dance yeah. around this restaurant. And by the time we left. You were like, bye-bye, everybody. And they were like, bye. You had the whole place. Well, I remember the Germans told the waiter to give them whatever it was we were drinking. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really fun night. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I mean, clearly we've had a lot of fun over the years and, you know, continue to do so. I think, I mean... I think I have a feeling we'll both be, we're going to go to the Ukraine again this year at yeah. some point. We kind of are thinking about that for September. Um, but I kind of want to, I want to wrap this up with some ideas of, or I want to really encourage artists to seek out mentorship and not only, and to know what to look for in a mentor, number one, and also, you know, how can they be their best uh, as a mentee, as as and get the most out of that relationship. So, what would you say are the top three uh, qualities or attributes that make that that people should look for in a mentor? Well, I think that um, number one, th- they should look for consistency in their life. Mm. You know, because and honesty in their life. You know, like one of the things that you said at the very beginning was that. Um, that I I shared I shared my life with you. You know, I didn't hold back. I didn't not tell you th- right. things that were faults or issues in my life. And I think that most people think if somebody sees something bad about me, they won't like me. So I'll never tell this. They have a lot of shame. And shame keeps us locked into that left that left brain. Shame keeps us locked into I have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And nobody is perfect. And I, and I would look for somebody that's free in that area that, and that is consistent, consistently yeah. free. I would look for somebody that isn't controlling, mm. you know. Um, sometimes we all get a little controlling. And what makes us controlling is fear. You know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have a, we get a fear about something. And so then we clamp down, we get real controlling. Right. But when you, when you try to control somebody, you're not giving them the freedom to be themselves, to be who they are. You know, I wasn't an artist and you were an artist. And so our giftings were so completely different. And yet, and yet we found a way to, to, help really work and help each other and, and even work together because we did some, we did some seminars and I would teach, I would teach one thing and then you would teach art and teach people how to be free in art. And so I think that, that you don't want somebody that's controlling. Yeah. And, um, the other thing that, that I, I believe is, um, someone that's not afraid for you to grow beyond them yeah. and recognize that you've grown beyond them. And I remember, I remember when I said that to you and I could, and I could feel a, you know, a tinge of pain, but you and I were talking, I said, you know, Ellie, I feel like you've, you've outgrown me. And I wasn't meaning that in a bad way. I meant it. Wow. <laughs> you have outgrown me and you did, you didn't need me anymore. You, you were now the mentor 
to to go on and to to do look what you're doing now what everything that you're doing now and so i'm so proud of you and i'm so proud to say that you're my friend you know you're not somebody that i mentored and i and we didn't have a relationship and i feel a freedom with you i feel like you're my family you know i'm very proud of what you're doing thank you <laughs> well <laughs> that means a lot beverly and you know, I'm very, very so grateful to you. So grateful because um, I, I absolutely believe with all my heart that I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for this relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, and I, I say this with complete confidence, I really don't know anybody else on the face of this earth that could have given me what I needed. And it's like you had the exact unique um, qualities that could put up with me. I w- I'm not that easy. Um, I'm very, you know, strong-minded and argumentative and opinionated. That's actually something I really liked about you. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, I pushed back a lot with you, and I, I challenged a lot of things. And, um, and you, you, you know, and so I am so, so grateful because I would, I would not be anywhere near where I am today if it wasn't for you. And you and I have a mutuality, you know, we're, we're, we're mutual. I mean, I, I think that like right now you're, you're, you're helping me, you're teaching me and you're showing me some things that you've learned and, and how to, how to write. And that's been my dream for so long. And I've asked, I've asked so many people to help me and they try to help me, but it's like, I'm too thick, but you know how to help me. And so you and I have a mutual relationship and, and you always, you always want to end with that. You want to end with a mutual relationship, not, not with somebody angry or mad or, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that our relationship it's an example even to people that know us, to lots of people that know us, and and that would think that we wouldn't have a mutual relationship, but we do. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you loving me still. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for, um, that was like really good, you know, to hear your three th- uh, three tips on, you know, how somebody, what they should seek out in a mentor. And I think as, as a mentee or as somebody who's learning from a mentor, um, and, and seeking that out attributes that, that, you know, we should have, or they should have Mm -hmm. is number one to be, um, to have a a vision of where they want to go. Um, if you're just like, Oh, I'm kind of messed up and I need, I need a, I need a mentor. I don't, I don't, I feel like that, puts you in, in the position to, um, to be kind of controlled, you know, or be, um, you know, I think you need to have a vision for yourself of, you know, where do I want to go? What is, what is my best life look like? How, what is the best version of me look like? Mm -hmm. What do I want from this? So I think beginning with a vision, and then I think you have to be very teachable, um, and trust comes along with that. You have to have a level of trust uh, you can't be suspicious of your mentor, right. otherwise you pick the wrong person. Yeah. Um, so you have to trust your mentor and be teachable, and that means don't be defensive or make excuses. Or I mean, that drives me nuts when I'm telling people, 
you know, hey, I think if you did this, it's going to help you out. Blah, blah. Yeah, I know. I know. The reason I did that is, you know, and you get all that defensiveness. And then I think, um, I think, you know, honor, like you, you should, you know, appreciate and honor the time that this person is pouring into you and, um, and see how can you help them? How can you reciprocate in any way? It might be completely differently. It's not going to be with advice, but it might be, um, it might be money. It might be, um, time. It might be help, you know, some connection you have yeah. or opportunity. So, um, I don't know. Can you add to that or do you think well, that's you know, I think one of the things that you just said that really stood out to me is when you're trying to tell somebody that they should do it this way or they should do it that way, and they start explaining why they did what they did. Those are the kind of people that that they don't really want them. They don't really want a mentor. Yeah, they they want somebody that's going to flatter them and val- validate and validate what they what they do what they're doing. And if you were my mentor and and I'm painting. And, and I, and you tell me what I did wrong. Why would I challenge you? You know, why would I challenge that when I'm gone from you, when I'm away from you, I can do whatever I want to do. Right. You know, but I, I won't work with people like that. I might work with them for a little while, but then it's, you know, I'm just going to turn them loose because I can't, I don't have time and nobody really has time. Yeah. You know, ain't nobody got time for that. Anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> we, we, we have to move on. And I feel like, I feel like the, that, that art is really, um, it's something that, that we need to really look at, at where, where, where change is coming because change is coming. And, and lots of people that I know that do art, um, they, they like to do, rainbows and butterflies and they like to do you know american flags or bibles and things like that and it doesn't tell a story it doesn't it doesn't tell me any story i have a painting on in my living room that that you painted and everyone that comes in my house looks at that painting and it's a it's a little girl and she has three canaries on a stick and she's what, two of them are clean and she's cleaning the third one. He's dirty and she's cleaning. And then there's a painting in the background of a lion watching. And that's, that painting tells a story. It tells a story. It tell it, you know, you told me the story of why you painted it. But for me, it tells a story of that, that my job and my life is to, is to take the, the, the pieces of life off of people that have stopped them, that have hurt them, that still causes them to have the boundaries that they don't want, that keeps them from flying. And, and I never have anyone come in my house that doesn't comment on that painting. And the other day I had a lady in my house with her daughter and I was saying, you know, when I die, you can just come in here and get anything you want because my kids will probably just throw it out in the street. And her daughter kept saying, I want that painting. I want that painting. I want that painting. (laughs) But you know, art should tell a story. And that's what I love about what you do, Ellie. You tell a story. And right now we, we are in the middle of an incredible change in the world and an incredible difference. There's something different coming. And you know, I remember in, in the sixties when we were having the Vietnam War, that's how old I am, (laughs) that that there were, there were kids, you know, crying out 
give peace a chance. And now we see just the violence and we see the, the anger. And so art can tell the story to those that are angry that, that there is something coming that's better. There is, there mm. is a change coming that is better. And I think that, that, that we, we need to, as people that want to tell a story with our art, we need to tell the story instead of putting it right in somebody's face. You know, a Bible doesn't tell me anything. An American flag tells me, oh, you must be American. You know, a, a butterfly tells me, wow, you know, you, you, you want to fly, but not fly very high. You want to just fly a little bit. <laughs> and so those stories don't really count. And that's what I see a lot of people in my world, you know, the kinds of paintings that they're painting. But what I see you painting is change. And I think that that's what, I think that that's where we're headed, that spiritually we have to paint pictures that are going, when people look at it, it will bring change in their life. Absolutely. I think artists are change agents. And, I do too. And they're, they break status quo mm -hmm. and they, they bring the far things near that, that, that's in the future um, here, they're right. like Kandinsky said, all artists are prophets. Right, and and that's why you want to move. That's why you want to move into your right brain. Yeah, because your right brain can foretell the future. Your right brain can foresee something coming. Your left brain, being analytical and 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 being so legalistic, it just tells you what's today, what's now. Mm -hmm. And um, I I feel like that it is that art is prophetic. It's totally. prophetic. It has to foretell. And if we don't, if we don't foretell, if we don't say that something better is coming, we've missed, we've missed what we should receive from the spiritual realm. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Beverly, for being here and, and sharing. And, um, I'm sure you guys, uh, you know, felt inspired by all of that and hopefully you feel inspired to seek out mentorship. Uh, if you're at that place in your life where you really want to change, you really want to move into, uh, you know, your best self and walk in your destiny with purpose and, and effectiveness. Like I said earlier, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for you. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Light Movement. And uh, if you liked this content and you, you feel inspired by this, I highly recommend you check out this video here that YouTube is recommending. Uh, we have all kinds of content on our channel. Uh, be sure to check out The Outstanding Artist. It's a reality show that we created in, uh, in Greece. It's beautiful. The artwork is amazing. Uh, there's all these cool challenges. I highly recommend it. You guys will love it. And there's so much more. So thanks for being a part of this and we'll see you next time.